a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larinawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. This episode is brought to you by Luma Natural. Celebrated for its soothing, calming, and healing properties, lavender is one of nature's greatest gifts. With its versatile range of applications and uses, myriad health and wellness benefits, and delightful flora aroma, lavender is one of the first essential oils people reach for when they need an all-purpose everyday hero. This month, we're putting Luma Naturals 100% Natural Silk Body Butter in the spotlight to share the wonderful benefits lavender can deliver to every member of the household. If you thought lavender was simply a fragrance your grandma used to scent her drawer liners, think again. You'll be amazed to discover the many different ways lavender can enrich your life. As a natural sleep aid, lavender is renowned for its ability to aid in sleep promotion and restore health sleep patterns. Not getting enough sleep? Simply rub some body butter on your feet just prior to bedtime and wake up feeling restored and refreshed. Lavender is also calm and soothing. The aromatherapeutic properties of lavender can help calm anxious minds and frazzled nerves by impacting the limbic system in the brain that controls emotion. Simply rub some in your palms and create a soothing and ambient environment when you inhale. After relaxing baths, after you've soaked your stress away, apply some of this silk body butter to your muscles and also all over the rest of your body. Keep in mind that a little goes a long way and just enjoy the relaxing effect after your bath. And after that bath, begin to nourish your skin because lavender is full of antioxidants and antifungal properties. As such, it's a great natural skin booster and great for treating dry, thirsty skin. As a moisturizer, it really will nourish your skin. And as we talked about with aromatherapeutic benefits, its heavenly fragrance, almost like perfume, 
doubles as a perfume, free from chemicals and contaminants. Simply dab a drop or two behind your ear and all over your pulse points for a delightful signature scent. To enjoy the wonderful benefits of lavender, as you hibernate into these cold winter nights, please go to Shop Luma Natural. That's Shop L U M A N A T U R A L dot com and use the discount code Nourish Your Flourish. Night night. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. So, what is cervical cancer? The cervix is the lower part of the uterus that connects the uterus to the vagina. Most cervical cancers begin in the cells lining the cervix, but the changes that lead to cancer usually occur very slowly and can be identified via a pap smear, also known as a pap test, a screening test recommended for all women beginning at age 21. In the United States, some 12,000 women develop cervical cancer every year. Most of them have not had regular pap screenings. So what are the symptoms? In its early stages, cervical cancer rarely causes symptoms. But as it progresses, women may notice one or more of these changes. Vaginal bleeding that occurs between regular menstrual periods after sexual intercourse, douching, or a pelvic exam. Menstrual periods that last longer and are heavier than in the past. Bleeding after menopause, pelvic pain, and potentially pain during sexual intercourse. Long before any symptoms occur, a pap test may reveal abnormal cell growth in the cervix, and this is called cervical dysplasia. And this causes no symptoms, but is considered a precancerous condition. So what are the causes? Infection with certain strains of the human papillomavirus, or HPV, is believed to be the major cause of cervical cancer. In 2006, the FDA approved the vaccine Gardasil, which protects against the two HPV strains believed to be responsible for 70% of all cases of cervical cancer. Other risk factors include birth control pills. A 2003 scientific review of 28 studies found that compared to women who never took oral contraceptives, those who were on the pill for less than five years had a 10% increased risk of cervical cancer. Those who took it for five to nine years had a 60% increased risk. The same study found that the risk returns to normal 10 years after a woman stops taking oral contraceptives. Smoking. Women who smoke have twice the normal risk of non-smokers. Tobacco byproducts have been found in the cervical mucus of women who smoke, and researchers believe that these substances damage the DNA of cervical cells. Pregnancies. More than three full-term pregnancies are also associated with an increased risk. However, this reason is unknown. Diet. A diet low in fruits and vegetables increases the risk. In DES, or diethylstilbestrol, during pregnancy between the years of 1940 and 1971 may be at increased risk of a rare form of cervical cancer. DES, thankfully, is no longer given to pregnant women. So how is cervical cancer diagnosed? For decades, women have been screened for cervical cancer and precancerous changes that can lead to the disease with the pap test in which cells are scraped from the cervix for laboratory study. This test 
was introduced in 1941 and has been responsible for an enormous decline in the rate of cervical cancer. Women between the age of 21 and 29 should undergo cervical cancer screening with pap tests every three years, and then every five years with pap and HBB tests until age 65. That's according to guidelines from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and by collaboration comprising the American Cancer Society, the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, and the American Society for Clinical Pathology. Women younger than 21 and most women older than 65 should not be screened. That's because data have shown that screening does not reduce cervical cancer, incidence, or mortality in these groups. If PAP and HPV results are abnormal, the following tests are needed for diagnosis. A colposcopy. A colposcopy is an examination of the cervix with a colposcope, an instrument equipped with a bright light and magnifying lens, which enable the doctor to view the cervix. A biopsy. This involves removal of small samples of cervical tissue to be examined under a microscope for abnormal cells. Methods to remove the tissue include LEAP, with a leap, an electrical wire loop is used to cut off a thin section of cervical tissue for examination. Endocervical curatage, the use of a small spoon-shaped instrument called a curette scrapes tissue sample from within the cervix, and a cone biopsy. For this test, the doctor removes a cone-shaped tissue sample. This enables the pathologist to examine the tissue to see whether abnormal cells are on the surface of the cervix and under the cervix under the surface. These biopsies often are done in the hospital under general anesthesia. So let's talk about conventional treatment. Right now, if you were to go to your conventional practitioner, treatment options for cervical cancer depend on the stage of the disease at diagnosis. In other words, how large the cancer is, how far it has grown into the cervix, and whether or not it has spread beyond the cervix. Often, treatment will be a combination of surgery, radiation therapy, and chemotherapy. Precancerous abnormalities can be treated with cryosurgery. Cryosurgery is the application of liquid nitrogen on the cervix to kill abnormal cells by freezing them. Alternatively, a laser may be used to vaporize the abnormal cells. A cone biopsy can be used for precancerous conditions as well as for other women with early stage cancer who want to have children. A hysterectomy, to remove the uterus and cervix, but not the ovaries or fallopian tubes, is often recommended as treatment for early stage cervical cancer and sometimes for stage zero cervical cancer. This is also known as carcinoma in situ, when doctors cannot remove all of the abnormal cells via a comb biopsy. For more advanced stages, the recommended surgery may be a radical hysterectomy in which the uterus plus adjoining ligaments, about one inch of the vagina, the cervix, and sometimes some pelvic lymph nodes are removed. An option for young women who want to have children is a trichelectomy, in which the cervix and the upper part of the vagina are removed while the uterus is left in place. Some nearby lymph nodes are also removed. This procedure may enable a woman to carry a pregnancy to term and deliver via cesarean section. However, the risk of miscarriage is higher than normal. A procedure called pelvic Accenturation may be recommended for recurrent cervical cancer. With this surgery, the uterus and cervix are removed, and depending on the extent of cancer spread, the bladder, vagina, 
rectum, and part of the colon as well. After surgery, treatment for cervical cancer may include radiation therapy. Here, x-rays are used to destroy any remaining cancer cells. Radiation therapy can be external, meaning a beam is aimed at the pelvis, or internal, called brachytherapy, where the radioactive material is placed in a cylinder in the vagina, in a small metal tube in the uterus, or in small round containers called ovoids placed near the cervix. Depending on the dosage, brachytherapy may take just a few days or several weeks. For low-dose treatment, the patient stays in the hospital. High-dose treatment is done on an outpatient basis over a period of several weeks. The radioactive material is inserted for a few minutes per appointment. The chemotherapy agents used to treat cervical cancer include cisplatin, paclitaxel or taxol, topotecan, ifofamide or efex, and 5-FU, 5-fluorouracil, alone or in combination or in combination with radiation therapy. The strong drugs used to kill cancer cells can also damage some normal cells, leading to some well-known side effects of chemotherapy that may include nausea, loss of appetite, loss of hair, and mouth sores. Okay, so what do I recommend for cervical cancer? Well, before we talk about what I recommend for cervical cancer, there's some things that I recommend prior to having cervical cancer, which is right when you get diagnosed with HPV. But in terms of recommendations for cervical cancer, imperfect as they are, conventional treatments including surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation are the only proven approaches to cancer treatment that offer the prospect of a cure. However, I recommend that when possible, cancer patients seek treatment from an integrative oncologist or an integrative provider who can combine conventional treatment with complementary therapies. I also suggest that you can follow some other strategies that will help in the healing process as well, such as dietary changes. Eat a plant-based diet, plant-based, not vegetarian, focusing on a wide variety of colored fruits and vegetables. Cruciferous vegetables such as broccoli, cauliflower, and cabbage contain a cancer-preventing compound so potent that it is being investigated as a chemotherapy agent. Berries are rich in beneficial phytonutrients and antioxidants. Overall, a diet that emphasizes fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts, cold water fish that provide omega-3 fatty acids, keep in mind that fish eaters have a reduced risk of cancer, is the best nutritional strategy. Also, decrease your intake of animal fats in general and red meat and dairy products in particular to control cancer-promoting inflammation in the body. Avoid refined sugar and highly processed carbohydrates, which are not beneficial for individuals living with cancer because of the effect on insulin production and insulin-like growth factors, which promote inflammation and are also associated with cancer cell division. Choose organic fruits and vegetables. While expensive, they are the best options for cancer patients, not only because they're grown without pesticides and other agricultural chemicals, but because plants grown outdoors organically need to protect themselves from other plants, predators, meaning insects, birds, and animals, and the sun. Organically grown plants do this by producing more intensive protective chemicals known as phytonutrients, which are beneficial to us. And here are now my three favorites. Acupuncture. 
cancer patients treat concurrently with acupuncture tend to do better. A consensus conference sponsored by the National Institutes of Health in 1997 agreed that acupuncture is useful in treating side effects of chemotherapy, including chemotherapy-associated nausea and vomiting. Acupuncture may also help increase energy and decrease dry mouth. Mind-body techniques. Mind-body techniques such as guided imagery, self-hypnosis, mindfulness meditation, breathing exercises, my personal favorite, yoga, and tai chi will help reduce stress. Stress affects production of hormones such as epinephrine and cortisol that can depress the immune system, leading to an increased risk of cancer spread. And medical cannabis. This is a useful agent for treating nausea, appetite loss, pain, and insomnia that can occur as side effects of chemotherapy or cancer itself. Beyond that, some components of cannabis may have significant anti-cancer effects. So before we even you know, get into the whole cancer discussion in terms of treatment, realize that before cancer of the cervix is even a thing, it starts off as HPV infection. Most people with a healthy immune system can clear HPV by itself. So it's really important to keep your immune system healthy, intact, and by doing that, you do all the things that you're doing if you already had cancer, if you've been diagnosed with cancer. So now during these winter seasons, it's really important to keep your immune system strong, keep your immune system healthy so that you can clear out the possible initial infection of HPV. Nourish your flourish. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.